coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Part of the secret sauce, if you will, in, in finding these deals is to become the kind of person, which is my big secret in life, become the kind of person who's willing to be resourceful and just moving through with small amounts of progress until you find an avenue that's wide open for mm-hmm. you. So I would just door knock. I, I, look, I looked at all the magazines. I went online. I went to, well, we have Kijiji. We guys have Craigslist. I just went to all these different resources and I was just persistent in it. This is that simple. I would clean carpets at night. I would scrub floors in the evenings. And then I would have, you know, five, six hours in the middle of the day to hunt for real estate deals. And if you simply spend one to two hours a day hunting, really hunting, not wasting time, but moving forward, talking to people, door knocking, getting to know people, you'll find that there's way, way more opportunity than we inherently think there is. Mm-hmm, but opportunity mm-hmm. gets discovered through conversation. So people go, how do I find deals? You don't find deals, you create deals. You create yeah. them through conversation. You find an, an avenue where it's a win-win for you and the person selling the property. And if you can simply wedge yourself in there, then you get to have a quarter of a watermelon versus 100% of a grape. And those mm-hmm. are the kind of deals that I like, where everybody wins. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Ben Humble, who is the founder of Cashflow Tribe. So Ben tells a story about how he and his family basically immigrated from Hungary and the way that they did it was just just incredible. So this is a story about someone who has persevered through a lot in their life and has created great, great success. But what I think was most interesting about this conversation was Ben's ability to not necessarily focus in on the success, which a lot of people you know, do, and there's nothing wrong with that, but Ben has chosen to sort of see things differently. We go through this, this the, the, the transition of his life where uh, he was concerned about the material things and what he had, all of the possessions and all of that. I think we all go through that. But what he realized and, and how he sort of shed all of that and the life that he's leading now is his true authentic life, what he truly wants from life. And I think that that's, you know, it's something that everyone should be focused on is, you know, truly identifying what makes you happy. Is it all of the stuff? If it does, you know, that's perfectly fine. But in Ben's case, it wasn't all of the stuff and it wasn't all of the you know, the notoriety of, of everything that he was accomplishing, which he's done fantastic for himself. But he took a step back and again, has, has developed a life that he is authentic with and he truly, truly loves. So you could absolutely hear that in, you know, in his conversation, he was absolutely passionate about what he's doing and, and he's giving back, you know, so he's taking his, his story and everything that he's accomplished and everything that he's realized and learned over the years and teaching other people how to do the exact same thing. So great, great conversation today with Ben Humble. I hope you enjoy his story today on Pass the Secret Sauce. 
Well, I'm the oldest of nine kids. So we always had a lot wow. of people at our dinner table. And wow. uh, we're from a traditional kind of Romanian household. My family escaped communism in 89. So mm -hmm. our dinner table had a lot of variety on it. You know, my, my parents, my mom's a cook actually. And they always, they always made a massive effort with nine kids to make sure there's always, you know, a lot of food on the table and to take care of us, especially on Sunday, Sunday afternoons were kind of our family lunch, family dinner mm -hmm. time. So it was, it was uh, a lot of people trying to find a seat with nine kids and two parents in the household, always having guests over. So it was, it was jam packed, man. There was a lot of stuff always going on at dinner That's time cool. uh, with family. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And were you born in Romania then or yeah. did you? So yeah. Born in Romania in 85. Our family escaped communism in 89. We ran across the border just wow. on foot. Literally dad grabbed us, ran across the border, landed in a refugee camp. They eventually executed the Romanian president on TV on Christmas Day, actually. Wow. And uh, our family was reunited because we had to leave some of my siblings behind to make that happen. And, you know, so we were reunited, finally made it to Canada where we settled. Mom and dad had three more kids. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we grew up, mom and dad working two, three, four jobs all the time, just you trying to well. provide the kind of life, you know, that was accustomed to Canada making sure we always had food and clothes and stuff like that. Obviously in a family of nine, we become numbers, almost more yeah. than names. Yeah. Just out of necessity, you jump up in the minivan and you just count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, <laughs> and then you're all. off. Yeah. Right. Sometimes <laughs> you catch here. a random cousin in there or something. And then it's like, oh crap, you know, we forgot this kid and we have to turn around, but yeah, you, you make do with what you can. And I watch mom and dad, you know, build their life uh, that way. Just always pushing forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, so obviously that, I'm sure it was probably a huge inspiration in, you know, your own entrepreneurial journey, right? You know, it gave you the, the, you know, sort of the insight and the, the ability to, to believe in yourself and know that you could do it. Is, would you agree with that? I think being born in a communist country and escaping is the entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, that's like, true. That you is make a true. decision and that has had tremendous impact on me personally. Like, think about it, man. Like, here's your options. This is what you get. There's no alternatives. You don't yeah. have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of anything. And my dad goes, nope, we're going. And that yeah. is the entrepreneurial journey. You have X options in front of you. And, you know, the world tells you this is what you can have. And the entrepreneur somewhere deep down goes, they can't be it. Yeah. There's got to be more choices, more alternatives. So that, that since, since I was a young child, I always knew that I had choices. Yeah. And if somebody told me something that it didn't resonate with who I was, call it core values, I would just go, nope, that's not it. I mean, I yeah. failed math two times because they try to force this math stuff on me that I didn't see the value. And, you know, I, I failed in high school two times and, and the professor goes, you just don't want to learn. And I told him, I said, you know, I was a very nice kid and stuff, but I said, show me something I'm going to use. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he said, well, you have to learn this. I said, no, I don't. Yeah. So I eventually passed with like the, the, the smallest mark I could. And I just developed this very much rebellious spirit from a young age, not rebellious in the sense of against my family, the world you know, I, I wasn't a bad kid. I was actually a very well-behaved kid, but just in my mind, I knew when somebody told me it was black or white, I was like, nope, there's gray. Yeah. And as long as there's gray, I can move in different directions. Yeah, no, I like that. Cause I I'm, I'm built the exact same way. You know, I, I never, uh, I never did the college thing because I never wanted to, someone telling me that, you know, you need this piece of paper to do whatever it is that you're going to do, you know, right? So, so that was the path that I took. I completely, completely agree. 
So, so speaking of, you know, did you, did you go down college, the college yeah. path or anything like that? Yeah, so I was going to be a musician growing up as a kid. I played music and I went to college uh, university for two years for music and realized about halfway through, they said, Hey, you know, you're the most talented, laziest kid we have. <laughs> so yeah. you actually literally, you know, you, you got by two years without doing most of the work. You didn't practice this and this. And I, and I had, I had a discipline problem back then, meaning I just didn't, didn't want to do the work as it came naturally to me. Uh, but halfway through, she said, you're not going to be able to become a high school music teacher if you don't do this. And I realized in an instant that that was the path they had laid out for me. I was just, I, I was foolish. I wasn't thinking beyond that. Immediately, my brain went, nope, shut that down right away. First of all, I don't want to be a high school music teacher. I'm going to go do something I really want to do. So I literally dropped out of high school or out of, out of university. I dropped out and I just started doing the only thing I knew how to do, which was clean. My parents had done cleaning service their whole lives. And I just started cleaning carpets, cleaning floors, started a small business. And my mom was actually my first customer. So yeah, I, di I didn't make it very far in school, but I learned just enough to be resourceful. I mm -hmm. took a couple accounting classes, which I don't know if I passed or not, but just enough to be resourceful, understand the basics of finance. Beyond that, it was just figure it out, man, become resourceful, yeah. get to work, you get know, sweat through it. it. Sweat yeah. through it. That's right. Yep. Love it. Love it. When did real estate come into your life? Was that something that, that came on early or when, when did you start getting involved in that industry? Well, when I dropped, when I dropped out of university to pursue this cleaning service, which I know sounds super glamorous, right? I was literally cleaning shit off the floor. It was not an attractive business, but it, it, it forced me to become a very much resourceful and just persistent kind of person. Cause when you got to clean up after other people, you, yeah. you know, you, you mutter under your breath, but you just keep going. And I was like, I got to find a better way. So I started reading books and courses and stuff like that. And I would go to Toronto very often from where I was at. It was about a three-hour drive. And mm -hmm. I would go there for every weekend course that I could find. And this thing became obvious to me, the idea of real estate. And I read this paragraph one time that said, if you want to become a millionaire, all you need to do is purchase a million dollars worth of real estate and then just pay it off, aka rent out those properties. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the 25-year term, you're a millionaire. And I'm like, man, this sounds very basic, very basic, very approachable. So at this age of 19, 20, I wanted to get into somehow into the real estate field. I didn't know how to do it. I just kept cleaning. I kept cleaning and putting myself in rooms with people that were doing a couple, you know, a couple deals. They had three or four properties or something like that. Mm -hmm. And even the guy that I did cleaning for, he had three or four rental properties. And I would say, John, how did you get those properties, man? Like, how did you, how did you go to the bank? How'd you get the money? How do you collect the rent? And this whole brand, Humble, is just about, regardless of where you started in life, just ask great questions, mm -hmm. lower your ego, and just move forward. So I just kept asking questions, asking questions. And eventually, I started discovering how this game of real estate was played. I bought my first property at the age of 21. Love it. Love it. And, and how, did you, how did you go about financing any of that, right? I mean, because, again, you're a 21-year-old kid. Maybe you had some credit, but probably not that terribly much. Did you have down payments? All of that. You know, were, you, were you challenged in all of those areas? or All of those it, areas. Every yeah. single one of them. I'm a, small, I'm a small business owner with a cleaning yeah. service with less than two years in business with no notice of assessments. And I'm like, you know, I, I go to the bank and I said to my home branch and I said, can you give me a mortgage? And they said, well, not really, not unless you put a really big down payment because you don't have all these things that we need. And I realized at that point that my credit score and my approvals, it was putting me back in a box I didn't want to be in. Yeah. So I joined these local groups, these business networking groups, and I started hanging out with people that were real estate agents and brokers, just people that I, that I could find. And I met a guy 
and this is the level of just perseverance and push. I met a guy said, I really want to buy a piece of real estate. I was telling everybody. And he said, I've got a piece of real estate. In fact, I have this duplex that I purchased. I did a renovation and I want to sell and get out of this thing. He was mm -hmm. going through some, you know, divorce and stuff like that. So he's like, I just want to get out. I said, can you help me put the money together? Because I don't know how to do that. He's like, yeah, I'm a mortgage broker too. Wow. I said, okay, cool. So I said, show me how to do all this. And we ended up applying for a mortgage. It was not a standard bank mortgage. It was like what we call a B lender in Canada. The kind of mortgage that they only give to people with not enough income or yep, job yep. history or credit yep. score. And it was only a couple percent points higher. So maybe it was 5% mm -hmm. or 6% versus the conventional, let's say two and a half back then or three. And I said, I don't care, man. As long as I can buy this place and live there, it doesn't matter to me what the numbers are. What matters is that I can afford to move into this place and get my first, get my first property. Yeah, so I remember yeah. getting financing with this B lender. I applied. My mom, you know, she gave me some money for the down payment, stuff like that. I, I just did whatever I could do to get this paperwork lined up so I could get this mortgage. And I remember buying this property off this guy, closing on it. And my very first month, it cost me 156 bucks plus utilities because I had a wow. tenant on the main floor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're, yeah. So you had, you had a year of living for a hundred bucks, 150 bucks, basically. 150 bucks a month. And, and then the belief happened, right? Like a lot of times we don't have the belief until we have the results. So as yeah. soon as I did it, as soon as I did it, it was immediately confidence boosting, which is how this game works. I go, wow, if I could do this one time, I'm sure I could do this more time. Mm -hmm. For 156 mm -hmm. bucks a month, I own a piece of real estate. It was not an attractive piece by any means. It used to be a convenience store. This thing was ugly as hell, but yeah. it was mine. It was yeah. my ugly as hell property. And now I got the bug. And I, so I started now moving forward and, 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 and trying to find more and more of these properties mm -hmm. that, uh, that I could get access to. And, so that was 21. I just kept going from there. Yeah. What, what were some of the things that you learned along the way? Like you obviously finding those types of properties was incredibly difficult. Have you found any ways to sort of streamline that or, or you know, cast a bigger net, if you will, to be able to uncover those, those types of yeah, opportunities? Yeah. So let me, I'm going to hit you out of left field over here, right? Because we have a real estate education company. And when people come to me with that, you know, it, it's difficult, it's hard. My honest response is it's not difficult. It's mm -hmm. actually not that hard to find deals. It's not hard to find off-market deals. What's hard is to be willing to have conversations with people, understand their situation, and understand if there's any way that you can become a solution to their problem. There are so many homeowners out there, so many properties for sale on the market, off the market. The question is, how many people are you willing to talk to without expecting to get an immediate deal? Yeah. So for me, it's actually never been hard to get deals. Most people, though, we've got this thing where, you know, we work with people and they're, I tried three times, I didn't get a deal, it doesn't work. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, dude, you, you tried more than that to tie your shoes. Yeah, yeah. So part of the secret sauce, if you will, in, in finding these deals is to become the kind of person, which is my big secret in life, become the kind of person who's willing to be resourceful and just moving through with small amounts of progress until you find an avenue that's wide open mm -hmm. for you. So I would just door knock. I, I, look, I looked at all the magazines. I went online. I went to, well, we have Kijiji, we guys have Craigslist. I just went to all these different resources and I was just persistent in it. This is that simple. I would clean carpets at night. I would scrub floors in the evenings. And then I would have, you know, five, six hours in the middle of the day to hunt for real estate deals. And if you simply spend one to two hours a day hunting, really hunting, not wasting yeah. time, but moving forward, talking to people, door knocking, getting to know people, you'll find that there's way, way more opportunity 
than we inherently think there is. Mm -hmm. But opportunity mm -hmm. gets discovered through conversation. So people go, how do I find deals? You don't find deals. You create deals. You create yeah. them through conversation. You find an, an avenue where it's a win-win for you and the person selling the property. And if you can simply wedge yourself in there, then you get to have a quarter of a watermelon versus 100% of a grape. And those mm -hmm. are the kind of deals that I like where everybody wins. Yeah. But I those love, require that. real work. I love that. And have you ever tracked to see how many conversations you've had, you'd have to have in order to uncover one opportunity on average? Any, anything come to mind there? So when, I, when I really, it, it changes. It changes with market cycles. When I started mm -hmm. kind of uh, aggressively here in 2000, let's say six, I think is when this was. 2006, there's plenty of properties for sale. It was an average market. It was slowly accelerating. And there's always properties, but they weren't relatively inexpensive. In 2008, it took a massive nosedive, as you know, the 09 crisis. And in 2009, I bought one for about 30% of what they were going for. And then I just started, did one, and then I did 11 the next year, and then 13 the next year. And I just kept buying and buying and buying. So depending on the market cycle, the conversation changes. Right now in a hot market, nobody's going to give you their property at a massive discount. There's no yeah. reason to. So yeah. if that's your only approach then you have to understand you're taking a different, the wrong approach. So you got to look at all the terms. So if price isn't an option, what are the terms? What kind of terms can you create? There's also a double-edged sword on this whole thing is that it appreciates so much quicker in a hot market. My mm -hmm. local city went up 29% last year. Yeah. Why incredible. in the world would somebody sell you something at a drastic discount when it's going up 29% a year, they could do nothing and make 29% on their capital. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the secret angles I found is, understand the market cycle and then build your conversations around that. If it's a low cycle and there's a mass inventory of homes and they're really not increasing in value and there's not a lot of demand, you can, you can lowball all day, every day. It's not yeah. a problem because that's yeah. just the nature of the marketplace. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. But when it's on a hot market like today, you've got to get better at the conversation. You've got yeah. to develop the skill of communicating. Most of us don't listen to create solutions. We listen to respond. I just think most people honestly treat this business as if like there isn't people involved. It's not just everyday life scenarios. For as long as we have credit, divorce, debt, opportunity, there will always be deals. 
always. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to understand the nature of where we can bring unique value to the table and where it actually helps another human being. And if you don't understand how the game is played and you don't understand what your options are, well, then you're just kind of digging for gold, expecting maybe, you know, find a deal and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you've uncovered in today's market that, that is working? Like you mentioned the different terms, what are some terms that, that, you know, seem to resonate well with the sellers today that, you know, would, would cause them to, you know, maybe bite on, you know, your offer as opposed to someone else's. Sure. Any, any yeah. insights there? Absolutely. So we've got to look at what the major uh, pain point in today's marketplaces. Let's just start there because if you understand the pain, you understand the opportunity. So in today's marketplace, although you can put your property up for sale, especially in Canada, get a lot of offers on the table. The challenge with that is you still have to go through that process. If you've got a divorce scenario, if you've got something more private, if you've got a, a, a scenario where you really don't want to publicize your property, it's a spectacle today. Yeah. That's it. It's a spectacle. Yeah. True. Not only is it a spectacle, but there's already people with their handout. Those are called realtors. Nothing against realtors, but you're already taking 5% off the top. Yeah. So if you can immediately recapitalize that 5%, hey, you got a property for $500,000, right? That's what you got. Yeah. That's, that's uh, times five, right? So what yeah. we got, like, you've got a chunk there in commissions, right? That's 25 grand that's out yeah. the door. You can immediately just start the conversation at 475. Yeah. Now what you need to do is identify the value of the things that, okay, do you want to sell this thing privately? Yes. Do you want to sell it as is condition? Yes. What's that worth to you? How much time, energy, resources are you going to have to put into this to yeah. try to get it sold? So there's, there's more dialogue around the things that sellers typically selling for. There's also a whole different thing that most people just don't do. It's this. Well, my house is worth 500. We all forgot that the property values have literally doubled in the last three years. This guy bought it for 200, yeah. 250, 300. Yeah. I'm not giving you 500 minus 50 or yeah. 500 minus 100. I'm giving you 200 more than you paid for it. Yeah. And that's where we don't bring enough clarity and insight. Hey, listen, I can put 200,000 more in your pocket than you paid for. It. That's a phenomenal return for you. Can I yeah. put 250? Not without me taking a lot of unnecessary risk. So yeah. we just have to flip the perspective. That person's walking away. Real estate is one of the most interesting vehicles because it, it turns people into absolute lunatics. We go from, you haven't made 200 grand in your job in the last 10 years, you know, after yeah. you pay your expenses, but yet you simply bought a property, did nothing, and it's up 200 grand, and then the entitlements pour in. So yeah. we have to learn how to deal with entitlements, learn how to deal with these numbers and data points. I will throw this piece at you. Numbers are numbers. They mean nothing. What something sold for doesn't matter. In a hot market, there is no fair market value because it keeps accelerating or yeah. decelerating. So what people need to realize is stop looking at numbers. It's all about human emotion. And if you understand the human emotion, the desire, the fear, the greed that other people go through, then you can create a narrative by which it's a win-win for you and for them by removing the barriers and the obstacles for that person to sell you that property. If no, you can do that. that, good for you. If you can't yeah. do that, you're playing a transactional game in a relational world, and that's why you're not getting I love that. I love that. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I love how you kind of flip that around. You know, you're absolutely right. I, I think a lot of people do just focus on this is this is, you know, what it's worth today, not necessarily the profit that they're going to to realize, you know, from their time of ownership, if you will. So love that. We'll talk about what, what is Humble? What, what do you um, what, what do you do with uh, the Humble brand? Humble is a life brand, man. It basically just says regardless of where you started in life, you ultimately decide where you end up. 
Mm-hmm. So being, you know, an immigrant starting in that, in that mindset for me, it's just about always, I think there's four components to success. There's ambition, which all of us have. Mm-hmm. There's humility, which allows us to ask better questions, keep our ambition in check. There's proximity to people that are doing what you want to do. And then there's a commitment to a dedicated plan. Those are the four mm-hmm. things we teach in our mastermind group. So if you understand the ambition plus the humility, it creates a really interesting recipe for the kind of person who continuously finds progress in life. Ambition without humility is just massive ego, and you miss tremendous opportunities in life if you have only ambition without humility. If you have only humility without ambition, well, then it just leads to meekness and really not building anything out of that. So mm-hmm. to me, the word humble is just about just be open, be honest, ask great questions, don't develop an ego, and just keep pushing towards the things that you know you believe you're called to do more than impact and income. It's not just income. So this season of my life is dedicated towards impact. We've, you know, we raised $40 million for real estate transactions. You know, we've done over 300 deals. And in 15 years, I created a life where I get to go back to being a musician. I was when I started this journey mm-hmm. at 20 years old, but I get to now do it on my terms. So my time these days is spent in masterminds, doing music, creating things of impact, writing books, helping people. Yes. And we still buy a ton of real estate and that's cool, but real estate is simply a conduit it's a vehicle to get me from here to here. I don't worship yeah. real estate. I don't get overly excited about real estate. Like my buddy Dan says, it's basically boxes on land. And if you remove all of the unnecessary excitement around boxes on land and just treat it like what it is, it's a business like any other business that I think you can use it as an accelerant to get you where you want to get. But mm-hmm. so many people get caught in this trap of I'm an investor, I'm an investor, I'm an investor. Then your whole identity gets stripped and reduced to that as an investor. You lose everything else in your life. So humble's about remember who you are. Just go through the journey. Remember who you are. Stay focused on your core values and the things that you believe are important in life. Mm-hmm. And don't lose yourself. I'm going to drop an Eminem song on you real quick. Don't lose yourself <laughs> in the moment, in the hustle, in the crazy, in the busy. Don't lose yourself to the game. Love it. And I was going to ask, what kind of music do you, do you make too? Oh, man, I've been in music my whole life. So I write everything from hip hop to rock music to I've got an album coming out in a few months. So really uh, stay tuned for that. Yep. I actually working. I've got a little set up studio here oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. where I'm at. So I'm basically traveling place to place these days, setting up studios and going to meet with musicians. I've got a producer that I'm working with. So again, real estate to me is this vehicle. And, and if, if we treat it like a vehicle, we get to stay unemotional to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can buy a property, stay completely emotionally detached. If the numbers make sense, we do the deal. If you understand how the numbers work, you do that transaction. That's why I did 300 deals and most people did three, four or five in the same time frame because yeah. I didn't get emotional about the bricks, the mortar, the flooring, the paint. It's, it, it's not something that you need to tie your identity to. Yeah. And that allows you to just keep plowing through, assuming it's still in alignment to what you want. Many of us are so busy. The next deal you're deep excited, immediately you fight, and you go seeking the next deal. It's the worst thing for investors. We literally develop anxiety and depression. I know people in Canada who have 500, 600, a million dollars worth of equity, but are cash flow poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're building this mountain of future you know, reserve for their retirement, and they're living in scarcity until the day they retire. And even then, assuming they make it that far, it doesn't, it's not going to matter. So we keep building and squirreling away. And I think real estate investors develop scarcity a lot of scarcity around their, their, interesting. their investments, their cash flow. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very interesting dynamic. I've never met more fundamentally wealthy, yet scarcity, broken mindset people in my life than investors. Yeah. And, and that's interesting that you have that kind of, 
you know, that kind of perspective on, on something like that. Do you think that that maybe spawns from your, from your, your, you know, your upbringing, you know, basically truly being in a, a situation when things were scarce and, you know, being able to identify that. And, you know, now you have a perspective of abundance, basically, you know, that's, that's essentially what you're, you're looking at all of this as I'm just curious what, you know, what your, what your thoughts are on, on that, you know, in your own life. So I went through that journey too, from the age of 21 to about 26, seven, I just grind, grind. Gary, Gary V says you, you should punt your twenties, hashtag grind, hashtag hustler. And I, and I adopted that mentality because I thought that's what it took for me to become successful. But the problem with that is you do lose your identity. I gained a tremendous amount of weight. I was fat. Okay. You know, I, I, I lost the relationships and some of the things that really mattered to me. I gave up playing music for a while. I basically lost who I was to this version of me that was the pursuing of real estate because I thought real estate equals happiness. And I developed scarcity around. And I had to go through an identity crisis at, at, at about 30, 31 years old where I had to radically shift back to the person I was designed to be. I spoke differently. I acted differently. I behaved differently. I became a sales guy. Everything I did was sales. I was focused more on agreement than insight. Mm-hmm. And I came all the way back this way to the point where people went, who is this guy? This is, this guy's ridiculous. He wears a hat now. He swears, you know, he does whatever. He doesn't give a shit. And what I realized was this was always me. And I gave that up to do and pursue this thing so yeah. I could fit into the mold. And we, as investors, we do that. We, we, we trade this, what we have, and develop scarcity around this. Because every time your identity is rooted in something physical, you're going to develop scarcity because it will perish. It will yeah. fall apart. It will deteriorate. So for me, I had scarcity. And I believe one of the greatest pivots in my life was when I was looking at my balance sheet. My wife and I would do our, our, our balance sheet network statement every year. And I always said I wanted to become a millionaire by the age of 30. And I got there just before my 31st birthday. Mm-hmm. And I, we had all these massive plans to go and, you know, shopping spree and go and spend 10 grand on clothes and all this stuff because for, we never did that. We lived very frugally. We budgeted every dollar for years. We drove older cars. We lived in our rentals. And we thought that was what it took to get there. And when I finally had a million bucks in net worth, and again, this equity, not cash, I'm looking at this thing. And you know what we did? Not Nothing. a damn thing. Yeah. We went to bed. Yeah. We went to bed and I had a, I, I, and I had a moment of clarity in that, in, in that instance of, None of this money will ever replace who you lost along the way. Mm-hmm. It also helped me develop a level of resourcefulness. Again, when you clean enough crap for seven years, six years, and you're clean up after people and you do all this stuff. And I tell people, what's the greatest secret to success? Clean shit. Just clean shit every day. Drop your ego, work hard, clean shit, more shit, more shit. But that helped me develop this mindset of like, first of all, there is no scarcity. Everything is abundant. There's so much opportunity. It's where you place your abundance, where you place your energy, where you place your brain power, where you place your money. And then I really started leveraging what I had better. I leveraged my money more aggressively. I leveraged my time much more aggressively. Like today I have two personal assistants and a calendar that's back to back. I do, I have fundamental rules for my life. Like I will never answer a phone call. It doesn't Mm -hmm. happen anymore. I've I've, I've created these non-negotiable so I can remain here. I can remain present in the things that I believe matter for my life. So I went from scarcity to this place of, I told myself, I'm going to get to a point where I'm just going to travel. My wife yeah. and I are going to get to this point. We're going to travel. So this is the fulfillment. It just happened in the middle of a pandemic. So as soon as the pandemic hit, everything's shutting down. And I'm going, this shit's not going to stop me. You're kidding me? I told myself I would. I'm a person of deep conviction. If I don't, then I'm going to lack in integrity. I got to go. 
But what yeah, about yeah. all the stuff? It doesn't matter. So I think it forced me, the scarcity forced me to create convictions of what, what I really wanted in my life. It forced me to pursue those convictions aggressively, which led to an outcome financially, which led to me reclaiming my identity and who I was. And today, today income is not a problem. Income mm-hmm. is only a problem if you allow it to be. We also spend tremendous resource on nothing. Dave Ramsey has a thing where you buy stuff you don't even need to oppress people you don't even like to then yeah. just go back to a job that you hate to save it and do it all over again. Like, what's the purpose? Yeah. What's the yeah, point yeah. of this stuff? So I've stripped the stuff. I went from having seven cars in the driveway, houses upon houses. And recently I've actually sold just about everything, 95% of my stuff. And I'm just living on the road to see what it feels like. And I can tell you, it's a much different perspective. Yeah, so I love that. I love that. I, I find peace in this, in this lifestyle and this mindset thinking. And it's not about the stuff. It's about how we idolize the stuff and how we mm-hmm. idolize the real estate and then how it robs us of our joy. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That that that's really, really insightful. You, you mentioned that, you know, you're you're much more efficient with your time today. Are you still investing today and and you know actively investing? How much time would you say that you spend on, you know, any one acquisition? Is it, you know, you have people out there looking for you, trying to find these these different situations that, that these people may have that you can help them with or what what is what is that you know sort of look like for yourself? Yeah. So I used to spend a lot. These days I don't spend more than half an hour on any given deal. If that, back in 2013 I started a mortgage company. I sold off a lot of the real estate that we had, and I started selling properties with vendor take back mortgages. It's a strategy that we use to help people purchase properties, give them mortgages, etc. As a result of that decision in 2013, we did you know hundreds of deals like that. And frankly, mm-hmm. I've been living off that income now for years because it's truly passive like there's nothing to do there i'm, I'm not i'm yeah. no longer the landlord i'm the lender which in canada is actually significantly greater it's much easier to be a, a lender than landlord where we're from i think it's yeah. backwards here in the u.s so these days i got smarter my my biggest realization in life was to start doing everything with more intention more clarity and smarter instead of just harder so we don't go out and hunt for deals and do all the stuff that we used to do i have a small team in our office We have a lot of joint venture partners throughout Canada. Those joint venture partners will find deals. They'll put them together and they'll come to us as a capital partner. So Mm -hmm. we bring all the money to the table. We bring, you know, any other training or support that they need, any other mentorship. And they do the grunt of the work. So they're operational heavy. We're their finance department. We're their mentorship department. Sometimes we'll be their sales department. They'll flip houses. They're flip flipping in our average transactions. Let's just say, Two, you know, two months to four months these days, mm-hmm. and we live in the spread. One of the big different, one of the big things I realized a few years ago was to how to really leverage capital. So we borrow funds at seven to ten percent, and then we actually redeploy those that capital at twenty five to twenty eight percent. We keep the delta, which yep. is the difference between the two, and we yep. just done that across millions and millions and millions of dollars. So we're in a position now where we raise capital, we find prudent investors people who've got a good track record, the people who need a capital partner that also don't want to go to the bank and all this other stuff like I did. And all, mm-hmm. all of this came from me doing it first because I raised $40 million privately. So I sat down with investors, everyday people who had access to capital, equity, cash, or RSPs. I would leverage their capital to do my deals. I was the active partner. They were the passive partner. So this is just a fulfillment of that. So I've been the active for so long, we finally became the passive. So we have deals happening every single month, buy, sell, I just see none of that. I have somebody on my team handles all those transactions. They wire the funds, they collect payments, they do all that kind of stuff. So 
I, even if I spent half an hour per deal would be, would be an exaggeration. I, I don't even think I, frankly, I don't even think I even see most of those deals. They just, we get a check, just it, comes it, yeah. in, it goes in the office and that's, I've designed my life that way. So if we do a hundred grand a month, 200, whatever the number is that we're doing that month in deals, it doesn't matter because it, it, I'm not, I'm not directly involved. Yeah. Right? I, so I get that. to focus on the things that really resonate with me. Not to mention that active group of mortgage income that we've set up from 2013 it's been churning and burning. And, you know, they say that money invested at 10% doubles every seven years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you, if you do that, that's really what we started with that 2013 model was to start doing those mortgages, knowing that those, that would literally double. So two goes to 4 million, four to eight, you know, and so yeah. forth, eight yep. to 16. And I don't need to work. I, what I realized was at some point, compound interest has to work harder than me. And most yeah. of the fallacy as investors is that we're, we're not ever on the right side of compound interest. We're always on the wrong side. We're the ones paying the debt. We're the ones, you know, not benefiting from this, right? I wanted to be on the benefiting side. And I did that by becoming the lender. So being the lender these days is, is much more attractive. If we do a flip or two or three flips a, you know, a month on our own, that's fine. I'm just not overly concerned with it, right? And yeah, very cool. Again, impact and income. So it's, it's, it's we find people that are already winning uh, typically through our education company and then we help them win at a greater level. Yeah. And and with the education company, is it, uh, are, are you doing like, like in-person trainings? Is it all online? What what does that look like if someone yes, is interested we've got, in? We've got the fastest real estate education company in Canada called Cashflow Tribe. And we've got a whole host of courses and online education, in-person events, boot camps. There's a mastermind. We've got thousands of members in our community and we just help people and we meet them wherever they're at. Some people are brand new and they just need some information and some support. So we've got a free community for that at cashflowtribe.com. And then we've got people that are like, hey, man, I want to really build a significant business here. So we've got people in Mastermind that our goal is within inside of six months to help them quit their job and create at least 200 grand a year of income in real estate. So uh, we've got this this joke, running joke that I create more unemployment than Trudeau (laughs) in our Mastermind. Love it. Because I've got... Dozens of people in the last year that have come to me with an active job, and we've transitioned them from that into being a full-time real estate investing entrepreneur. So yeah. uh, that's something I pride myself in is helping people take their goal, narrow it way down, get super focused and clear, and then just just go at it until they accomplish it. So just really, really thankful for these people in my life that have done this. And it's just for me, such a huge satisfaction to watch people go from a place of scarcity and a job and all these other mm-hmm. you know things to a place where now they're at home with their families, investing in real estate, making a lot more money than they ever did. And I just think that's so profound. Uh, we have an obligation to pay it forward in my belief. So yeah, uh, anywhere I, I can it. do that for impact to me is uh, so valuable. Yeah. It's, it, it's, I, I love, I love hearing what you've done and what you're doing. I mean, it's such, such a smart path and such a, you know, it, it makes sense you know, how you've taken things and, and sort of, you know, taken where you were and then springboarded to the next one, springboarded to the next one, all with this, this end goal of, you know, getting back to, to your, what, what you truly valued, you know, even going through that progression of, of realizing that about yourself and, and realizing that, uh, you know, the path that you're on wasn't leading you back to, you know, ultimately where you wanted to go. So well, there's, kudos a core, to you, man. there's a core dynamic on that, man. Like, you know, so many people come to me, like, how do I do real estate? And it's just like, well, you got to do you. So, you know, mind, body, spirit, like all the personal development that comes with real estate, real estate won't solve your life. You've got to reclaim you at some point. You've got to develop convictions around what you want in this life and real estate can help you achieve that. But I've seen people lose themselves to the grind. 
Yeah. And they go, well, I'm just the grind. And you're never fulfilled. You're never happy. Didn't matter how much is in your bank account. You know, I see this, you know, all I want for Christmas is another deal. What about your family? What about your faith? Yeah. What about your health? What about all that stuff? You know, another deal, who cares? You can always do another deal. You know, yeah. it's just not a, whether you call it law of attraction or whatever. When you stop chasing, you can start to finally attract when you create and plant enough seeds in this world and cultivate those seeds. And eventually you can develop a harvest, connect with people, have relationships, have conversations, realize there's more to life than more deals. And the funny part is the deals will start flowing to you because people see the kind of individual you are, that you're not money hungry, transactional. Mm-hmm. You're a win-win kind of person. Money flows to people of character. It's as simple as that. Money yeah. does not flow to people of transaction. And if you develop the kind of character where people know you, people know me to be a person who does what I say I'm going to do, a person who's very honest, a person who's open and transparent, a person who lives with deep conviction. If I say I'm going to do something, we're going to do it. Deals flow to you. Money flows to you. You know, relationships flow to you. But you've got to put yourself out there and become that kind of individual. Otherwise, I just think it's a bunch of folks chasing something and nobody has an advantage over the next person. They're all looking yeah. for tactical answers. and and. And they're not resourceful enough to even execute on the answer when it's in front of them. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Ben, if, if uh, people want to learn more about you, any of your services, anything you're involved in, what would be the best way to, to reach out and get in touch? Just jump on the website, humble.ceo. As simple as that, humble.ceo. And you can get access to whatever we're doing. If you're in Canada and you want to get into real estate, maybe it's new, maybe you're a pro. Just come hang out with us. Come join our free community at cashflowtribe.com. Get to know us and we'd love to hang out with y'all. Love it. I love it. Ben, many thanks and uh, congrats on all the success. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.